This is a recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book at the Wednesday dinner hour meeting, and we are still pursuing that wondrous thought uh, embodied in the words in Hebrews chapter 2, that they that are sanctified and he that sanctifieth are all of one, all of one. We notice when we were w- walking through in great strides the epistle to the Romans, that the goal of the doctrinal section, which is the close of Romans 8, is now condemnation is past, now justification is yours, nothing can separate from the love of God. That's where the love of God comes in the epistle to the Romans, with one exception. You have to be right with God through his perfect work before love is yours, and then nothing can separate. Well, if nothing separates, obviously you must be one, you must be united. And this brings in all the words accepted in the Beloved, access into his presence, and many of them that we've yet to consider. But I want to bring in uh, to bear upon the uh, subject today, something we've looked at before, but I want to get it in this recording, arising out of the words of John 17, which we've already looked at, so without further ado, shall I just quote the passage. In John 17, our Saviour prayed, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And then again in verse 23, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Now, if you will turn to the first epistle of John, who wrote the gospel and wrote the epistle, you will see there are sort of expansions and explanations thrown in with regard to this oneness and this perfecting. First epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 17. Herein, now our version says, herein is our love made perfect. The margin says, love with us, which is correct. It's not so much our love, but herein is the love which has been given to us, the love that we see manifested in Christ, brought to its end. As you know, the word perfect doesn't mean improvement in the New Testament. It means reaching a goal, an end. It's the word, I have finished my course. The race is ended. I've touched the tape. So what's the goal in front of God? What is the perfecting and bringing to its goal of this love that spared not his son and sent him to die for us? Why is this? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because unless you have boldness in the day of judgment, you can't stand in Romans the 8th chapter. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And you say, it's God that justifies it. Then you go on and say, who shall separate me? You see? So here's the same thing coming out again that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, here's the reason. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And there is no fear in love. But perfect in love, the love that's reached its goal, casteth out fear. As he is. Now, this, the, those three little words say something which is almost unbelievably to be, to be true. When we think of the spotless Son of God in all the risen glory at the right hand of the Father, holy and accepted and reigning, or yet yet to be reigning as king, when we think of all his wonder and all his glory, all his grace and all his truth, is it true to say that you and I in him are like that? Well, one day, friends, we're going to be presented without spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing. That seems almost unbelievable, doesn't it? But if we're the family of faith, and heaven is the home with the Father, it must be. So we come back to another passage which we were looking at in Romans the 8th chapter, that God has predestinated that every believer shall one day be conformed to the image of his Son. So this is saying it all over again, isn't it, from another angle. Now, will you take to yourselves that if you believe Christ as your Saviour, that you can say this is true of you, that as he is, so are we, even in this world, not in ourselves. Because this very same epistle in the first chapter warns you, if any man say he has no sin, he deceives himself. himself. And if a man say he, he hasn't sinned, he's a liar. That's how he starts this epistle. And yet the same epistle says that you and I who have to confess that we have sinned and we still have sinned, yet we can look up to the right hand of God and say, nevertheless, my great representative is there. He died the just for the unjust to bring me to God. He has bridged the gulf. I am reconciled by the death of his son. Well now, here's a position then. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, as we haven't got time in this meeting to dwell too long on everything, I'll leave that with you and turn back in this epistle to chapter 3. Chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love, we're still dealing with the love of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, you see, as he is, so are we. So he's, he's, he's emphasizing the same thing from another point of view. Now are we the sons of God. But you might say, well, we're looking at one another, excuse me, without being rude, I should hardly have thought so, you know. Well, he says, that's true enough, friends. That's true enough. That one day, one day, this groaning creation is going to emerge into the joy of the liberty and the manifestation of the sons of God. So it's future, when their glory shall be seen. We're disguised now because we are in this present world, going through a wilderness, tramping home, but glory awaits us. So he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. And that by an apostle who was, who was sent, uh, who was in Christ's company, and who was inspired by God, he tells you that he couldn't tell you what you're going to be like. And you remember how the apostle turned around and said, Thou fool, when they asked you, how are the dead raised up? It's a question we can't ask legitimately, and we can't answer. We can leave that to God, can't we? He's done so much. So he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, as he is we are. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like it. My, that's a satisfactory thought, isn't it? There's going to be a transformation. As you read in the last verse of Philippians 3, who shall transform or transfigure this body of our humiliation, that it may be fashioned like unto the body of his glory. That's going to take place. We haven't got transfigured bodies yet, friends. At least I haven't. I know that well enough. And I doubt that you... Uh, you're in the same position. But though this outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And if the earthly house which we have it like a tent should be dissolved and folded up and collapsed, we have a building not made with hands, a building of God eternal in the heavens. That's waiting for us. So one day this mortal shall put on immortality and death will be swallowed up in life. 
That's where we're heading to, you see. But how will this be brought about? Well, it says, we shall, uh, when he shall appear, we shall be like him for, this is a uh, reasoning, we shall see him as he is. See him? Well, think of the many passages you could collect together. Look, come to me and be ye saved. Look. They put a, a brazen serpent up and everyone that looked lived. And, because we haven't time to canvas the wall, look, oh, excuse me saying it, the first chapter, verse 1, that which was, was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. I've often wondered why he said seen with our eyes and then said looked upon, and I don't even know now. But I know he says that one twice over. If you don't know how to see with your eyes, you know what it means to look. But he says, we've seen him, we've looked upon him here. And that did something to us. For as he passed by, he said to Peter, and to, and to Andrew, and to John, and James, follow me. They followed him. It, it had an effect upon them. And now he said, a day is coming when that transfiguring look will take place. We shall see him as he is. And we shall be like him. That dissolves all our fears as to whether we're prepared for it or not. The only preparation that ever can be made is that which must be made by God through the offering of his beloved Son. And our faith is simply a hand that stretches out and receives the gift of God. But after having said that, there is a reflection of this, because if we are continually boasting that we are like Christ, there should be some sort of... Uh, a little reflection of his image and little reflection of his grace even now in the limited walk and witness of this world. So will you look at chapter 1? Verse 6 He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he so here's the little words coming again that John has used. This is chapter 2 verse 6 Even as he walked. Now we're not saved by our walk. We are saved by grace. But the epistle to the Ephesians which says, by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast, goes on to say but there are good works prepared for us after we are saved that we should walk in them. And walk in the New Testament is your manner of life. Even as we say, a man's walk in life. Well, you see, here comes the practical side. And John is very practical. He calls people more liars than any other writer in the New Testament. Not very polite, is he? He says, the man who says, I love God and has no regard for his brother is a liar. Well, I wouldn't like to say that because I'm not John. But it's true. So he says, if you say that as he is, so are you in this world, and you don't manifest it in any shape or form, well, I'd have to call you a liar, the scripture says so. And when you look again at chapter 1, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, notice the word say, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. But you say, how can we ever think of walking in the light as he is in the light? Oh, he says, God's provided for it. He knows you couldn't possibly stand there for a second. For our God is a consuming fire of that blazing light 
would reveal all the defects that you even don't suspect and you'd go. Always make provision. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, I don't want to dip into grammar too much, but there is such a thing in the grammar as a continuing present. Not merely a thing that's happened at the present, but a thing that's going on, and that's this word cleanseth. So, should we just adjust the word there? And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, goes on cleansing us. It's an ever-present thing. It's not merely today, but it's tomorrow and unto the end of time. So you see, you need not hesitate to seek to walk in the light, because there's continual provision. The once offered sacrifice of Christ has covered your sin past and covers your sin at the present and will ultimately make it possible for you to stand in that holy presence. So, while we shrink back from the thought that ever we're going to walk worthy of this calling, it's nevertheless an obligation. So I'll go back over our ground. As he is, we are. As he is, we shall be. Oh, then surely we should seek that as he walked, so should we walk. So that's the emphasis we would like to leave with you today. Just another link in the chain of argument that we are bringing out from the scriptures that oneness with Christ, oneness in his character, oneness in his glory, is, as it were, impressed upon us, not only in the Gospel of John, but in the Epistles, and right the way through the book. Shall we not be glad to, to realise that this is made gloriously possible for us who believe the truth of Ephesians, that Christ is our head, and we are members of his body, and the Church is the body, and the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We should have to come to that in turn, but we might as well remind ourselves that that is also another aspect of this oneness in Christ. So may the Lord give us grace to rejoice in this union and then to seek by his mercy in some degree to manifest that what we believe is a practical truth.